Well, a lot of us went through some very hard things in the last two years, a lot of which had to do with COVID-19, coronavirus, and all of the disruption that had happened there. Uh, I want to talk this morning about one difficult thing that I think we all went through. Some of the suffering was particular to different people. That's one thing I think we all went through it, and it has left a lot of lingering questions in our hearts. Uh, the difficulty I want to talk about is the fact that COVID kept us from coming to church for quite a while. I personally missed 12 Sundays of worship because of COVID. Uh, most of you probably missed at least that many if you weren't here when we suspended worship here at Calvary. Uh, and maybe even more, several of you missed even more because of sickness or because of other reasons, all kinds of safety reasons. We were kept from coming to this gathering and having the Lord minister to us and endure in our faith. And that's left us, I think, with some unresolved questions that I hope the scripture can help us to answer today. Uh, one of those questions we might ask after you miss it for a while, and then you come back, and you probably truly missed it while you missed it, and then you came back and said, oh, that was sweet. And you may be asking to yourself, why is it that I need that gathering so much? Uh, I have access to so many sermons online. I have Christian friends. I have a Bible in my home. Why do I need to be there so much? You may feel it. You may not feel it, but we should ask, why is this gathering so important? And the other question we might ask is, Okay, if it's so important that we be here, if our souls need to be here on Sunday morning, how did I go seven weeks in a row without it and make it in my faith? And then if you were with us last winter, how did I go another five weeks without it? And some of you longer, how did I go so long without going to church and making it in my faith? Why do we need to be here so badly? And if we do need to be here so badly, how did we go so long without it, without having, for some of us, a crisis in our faith? I want to look at the answers to those questions. The answers have a lot to do with that last verse we just sang of a little town of Bethlehem. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Uh, o come with us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. It has a lot to do with what we celebrate in Christmas season, because the Lord came to be with us. And as we will see soon in the scriptures, because he comes in a special way to be with us as we worship him, we can say with confidence it's good for us to be here. So this morning we are going to look at two details in the book of Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to look at two special ways that Jesus is still with us. He came, he left in the flesh, but in some ways he is still here. We're looking at two of those this morning. Before we do, I need to tell you, this is a little different from what we usually do on Sunday morning, especially if you're new, you need to know that. If you're not, and you're going to wonder, why is this a little bit different? Why does this feel different? Usually on Sunday morning, the person who stands in this pulpit, it's his job to open a page in the Bible, read a certain portion, and tell you exactly what that thing says. In other words, the main point of the scripture read is supposed to be the main point of the message normally. That's how we do it. Main point of the message is the main point of the text read. That's not the only faithful way to preach, but we believe it's the best habit to be in as a preacher. And so we ask all our preachers to do that regularly. But sometimes there is not the main point of a text, but a detail buried deep in it that is especially timely for us right now. And this morning, we're going to come across two of those details. We will not look at the main point of Revelation 1. We will dive instead into two details that I think help us answer these questions. Why do we need to be at church so badly and how did we survive without it for so long if we do need to be at it? Let's read Revelation 1 together. We're going to start at verse 9, and we'll read clear to the end of the chapter. I, John, 
your brother in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God of the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The words of the Lord. Through two beautiful details in that story, Our Lord gives his people endurance this morning by showing us two wonderful ways that he is still with us. He came, he died, he rose, and he left in the flesh. But in many ways, he is still with us, and we look at two of those ways this morning. The book of Revelation has one point. Now, it's a very complicated book, very difficult to interpret and understand, But good news, it all comes down to one word, and that word is a verb, endure. Or if you would like to think of it differently, persevere. It is a call to hang on to Jesus to the very end. The Lord tells John, just before this passage we read, uh, it is written to tell us what must soon take place. He's telling us things that are going to one day take place. The reason he's telling us what's going to take place is so that we can endure in our faith to the very end. That is why you see John in this text saying, your brother in the patient endurance that is in Jesus, because the book is a call to endure. That is why when Jesus speaks to the seven churches, one at a time, he says to them, to the one who conquers, I will give this. Why? Because he wants them to conquer. He wants them to endure all the way to the end of everything they're going through and everything they will one day go through. Uh, That is why you see things like here is a call for the endurance of the saints, right? Because the reason the Lord gave us this book is he wants us to endure through the suffering we are going through, through the enduring temptations we are going through, and through everything that is going to come one day. That means 
that even when you don't know what it is saying, even when you're confused by the symbols in it and the timeline that what seems to be going on, you still know what you need to do about it. Hang on to Jesus and endure to the very end. That is why you will come away often with more questions than answers. Because the book is not written to satisfy your curiosity. The book is written to strengthen your faith and help you endure through everything that is coming. And that means that before I even tell you what these two details are, you already know why they're in Revelation, why they're there, to call you to endure, to strengthen you to endure to the very end. So let me put them before you, and we'll remember as we do, the reason God put these details in this book is to strengthen us to endure through everything we have gone through, are going through, and will go through. Here are the two details we're looking at this morning. First, Jesus reveals himself on the Lord's day to be among the gathered churches. That's the first detail. On the Lord's day, he reveals himself to be among the gathered churches. And the second detail, which is the second half of this morning we'll focus on, uh, Jesus came especially near to John on the Lord's day when John was unable to gather with those churches. So that's the two sides we're looking at. The gathered churches, he reveals himself to be there on the Lord's day. John, who cannot be there, he comes especially near to John, who is unable to be there. From those details, I want to answer those questions we asked this morning. Why do I need to be here so badly? And how did I make it for so long without coming when I wasn't able to come? Let's dive into the first detail. Jesus reveals himself on the Lord's day to be among the gathered churches. Let's look first at verse 10. We see what day it is in verse 10. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's the day that all this takes place. This whole vision, all the book of Revelation, it all came to John in one vision on the Lord's day. What is the Lord's day, you might ask? Well, this is the only time the phrase the Lord's day is used in the Bible. So from the Bible alone, we would not be able to tell what it means. Fortunately, there are some other surviving documents from late in the first century, early in the second century, written by Christians, written by friends of the apostles, that tell us that when Christians and the apostles use the phrase Lord's Day, what they mean is Sunday, the day of gathering. We can look at those and tell generally what the culture meant at that time when they talked about the Lord's Day. Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, appeared to many disciples and to Mary on a Sunday. Uh, He did many other things as well. In the book of Acts, the church starts gathering on Sundays. They call it the first day instead of Sunday. Uh, They gather to break bread together, to devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. Uh, They gather to have fellowship. They gather to sing together. And from that Sunday gathering, we have the precedent for this gathering that we do every Sunday. Later in the century, they started calling that the Lord's Day. And by the time John writes this, late in the first century, uh, they are referring to Sunday as the Lord's Day. So when John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, what's he mean? He means it was Sunday. It was the first day of the week. It's the day that the churches gather. And he was in prison, not at church. That will become very important later on. Jesus reveals himself on this Lord's Day, on this Sunday, and, and where does he place himself? Well, verses 12 and 13 tell us there are seven lampstands, and he is in the midst of the lampstands. So whatever these lampstands represent, he's there among those lampstands. We then read in verse 20 what the lampstands represent. Very end of verse 20, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
So John was supposed to write this to seven churches in Asia Minor. They're all named in there. Those seven lampstands represent those seven churches. Jesus says, it's Sunday, and where am I? I am in their midst. I am among them. A few other important details that contribute to this here. Uh, The word for churches, the word that John uses here for churches, is the more common word that the New Testament uses for churches. And it means literally assembly or gathering. Uh, When they were looking for what word are they going to use to talk about this thing we're doing on Sunday, this group of people that we are, what are we at the core? The word they chose was the word assembly. Because that's at the core what we are, right? What is church? It's a gathering of people that assemble together and they worship Jesus Christ. That tells us really fundamentally a lot about what a church is. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. That informs a lot of what we do. That informs when we think about things like multiple campuses and multiple services and things like that. That definition of we are an assembly informs a lot of that. Here it tells us what they must have been doing at the time. They are by nature an assembly, right? And what day is it? It's the Lord's day. What's the church do on the Lord's day? They assemble and they gather. So what were these seven churches doing while the Lord revealed this vision to John? They were gathered. The assemblies were assembled. It was the Lord's day, the day that they do that. So the idea here is that the assemblies are assembled And the Lord reveals himself to be in their midst as they are assembled. That's the big detail we're looking at today. As that gathered church gathers, the Lord reveals himself to be there. This is a symbolic picture of what Jesus says outright in Matthew 18, 20. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So he gives these churches this picture of comfort so that they might endure, saying, you guys are all lampstands, and guess where I am? I am right there in your midst. I am with you. He emphasizes this again in Revelation 2, 1, the very next one, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. To encourage us, to help us to endure to the very end, our Lord wants us to know that he is here among us right now. If you came today with wounds, he is present right now, tending to those wounds. And if you came with joy and songs of joy on your heart, he is present here to celebrate with you. If you came in need, he is present to meet that need. If you came weary in need of strength, he is present to strengthen you and help you to endure all the way to the end. Up and down these halls, our Lord walks, even right now, invisibly. And he will not let you see him in the room, but he will let you see him on the page as he walks among the seven lampstands. He wants hallowed a common manger with his very presence. And even in this moment, he hallows this common room with his very presence. And even these once defiled people, you and I, with his very presence among us. Our Lord walks with us. 
This is something more special and different, well, maybe in a special way different from the normal way that he is always dwelling within every Christian, right? Now, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, right? The Lord lives within you. And here he's saying something a little different. Not I am within each one of them, that is always true, but I am there among them, I am there with him. And so I take that to mean that he is present here in this room in a way that he is not going to be present in the car ride on the way home. He will still be dwelling within you on the way home. But there is something special about this gathering, this meeting on the Lord's day as the assembly is assembled. When the Lord's people gather on the Lord's day in the Lord's name, the Lord says, I am there and I am with them. Why is he doing that? Well, just like every detail in the book of Revelation, to help you endure all the way to the very end. You're going through stuff, aren't you? And that's why you need to be here with him. You need him coming, present, tending to your wounds and caring for you each and every Sunday. So that's our first point this morning. Jesus is present at our worship gatherings to help us endure. That's the answer to the question. Why do I need to be here so badly? Why did I sense that I was missing something when I wasn't here? I remember talking to one person from our church on the phone uh, during one of those times when we couldn't meet, and she was so sad, and she said, I'm just sad all the time, and I know it's because I was made to be with God's people in church, and I'm not there. I said, yeah, I feel exactly the same thing. That's what it was like to not be here. Why did it feel that way? You could have called any of these people on the phone, and you probably did the whole time. Uh, you can hear sermons, you can sing worship music whenever you want, but there is something special here right now. God is with us in the very room. That means if we can sense then how badly we need to be here with Jesus if we are going to endure all the way to the very end, uh, that means something for a lot of us in the different situations we are in right now. Uh, a lot of us wake up on Sunday morning very tired these days, right? The, the recent months, recent years have just taken a toll on you. You wake up on Sunday morning and you're tired. And it seems like when it's like that, our enemy just hits you with even more fatigue on Sunday morning. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Like, man, I could get up every day this week and now it's Sunday and I just feel like a rock. What is going on? You might even say to yourself, I just need rest. Rest is what I need. But if what we're looking at here is true, if the Lord wants us to see that he is in our gatherings and he wants us to see that so we can endure to the very end, that means we need something even more than we need rest, right? That, that part of our flesh that says, I don't want to get up, I don't want to get out of bed, I can't do this, I can't make it in, we must overcome that and say, what I need most is to be with Jesus. I'll recover better from whatever I'm going through if I can get there in the building and be with Jesus. More than we need rest, we need his presence and we need to be here gathered with him as he is here. It also means something for those of us, and this is many of us in our church in this part of the country really, those of us who live pretty good lives. A lot of us, I think, would say, I don't have everything that I want, but you know, my bills are paid, I have a little extra money to go on vacation and go out to eat now and then. I don't have any huge problems in my life, and really the biggest problem I have is busyness and stress. That's a good percentage of us here, right? Decent life, biggest problems are busyness and stress. And because we have a good life, we get to enjoy some of the good things in life now and then. And we thank God for that. 
Now, God's gifts are good, and if he gives you good things, you should receive them and thank him and be generous with them. But I do want you to see the very dangerous temptation that can put you under. If you go through your whole week busy and stressed, and then the weekend comes and you're like, ah, I can finally enjoy life's good things. I can sit on the back porch, I can put ribs in the smoker, we can go out to the lake house, we can do whatever fun thing it is that you do. For me, it's ribs on the smoker, but whatever it might be for you, right, I can finally do that. I can recharge. And then after I've recharged by enjoying the good things in life, then I'm geared up and ready to go back on Monday, right? Because Monday is coming. Like a, there's an old song, everybody's working for the weekend, right? It's that kind of mentality. Like we go through all the stress so we can enjoy the fine things for a couple of days, get recharged, and get back to work on Monday. Well, the Lord's saying here, if you want to endure, it's not the finer things in life that you need. It's not the break and the good stuff that you need. He says, no, it's it's being with me. It's my presence with you in corporate worship that helps you to endure to the very end. Now, that doesn't mean you should forsake the good things. No, you should receive them and thank God. God gave them to you, but he didn't give them to you to help your faith endure to the end. He gave them to you because he loves you and he's generous. If you want to endure to the end, what you need more on a Sunday morning is not another trip to the lake house, uh, an, another, another round of ribs in the smoker, another whatever it is that I do for fun, another brunch out on Sunday. That's not what you need to endure to the end. Being here with Jesus Christ is what you need to endure to the end. So that's the first point this morning. Jesus is present at our worship gatherings to help us endure. That's why we need to be here. That's why you sensed something was off when you weren't here. Did you know one of the good things that came from COVID was uh, a change in our state constitution, uh, the Indiana State Constitution, that happened last, this past April. Um, many of you know Governor Holcomb was quite friendly to the churches during the whole thing. He never forced any churches to shut down, didn't even force us to wear masks in here. We had to wear them everywhere else. We didn't have to wear them in here because of his orders. We made that decision as a church instead, really friendly to us. Well, toward the end of it, it became apparent well, wait a minute, what about the next time this happens? How are we going to make sure the next governor is kind to the churches? And so some legislature was actually written up, uh, went through this spring session, was voted on by, I think, 36 senators voted yes, and 74 people in the House voted yes, so it passed and went to the governor. And what it did was really simple. It declared churches an essential operation in the state of Indiana. So that means... Next time we have war or famine or uh, whatever emergency makes them take drastic measures, they will have to treat us the same way they treat Walmart. And if they keep Walmart open, they will have to keep us open as well. Now, that's good news for the churches. It's good. We thank God for that. But, but I want to drill into the logic they used here. The way they did it was they declared churches essential, effectively saying, when we have to shut everything else down, no, what the church does is too important, and we can't shut that down. We can't force them to shut down. They're effectively saying, this is our state government saying this, that you need to be here as much as you need groceries. As much as you need the water faucet to turn on in your house, you need to be here. Now, not every state is doing that. We are one of the few. But my encouragement to you is if our state legislatures see that and they know how essential what we are doing in here, 
oh, woe to us if we don't take our presence here seriously, right? Woe to us if we don't feel like getting out of bed and coming in, right? So what do we have to do? We've got to take our presence here seriously. The Lord takes his presence here seriously. Our government takes our presence here seriously. We have to take our presence here seriously as well. Why would that be? Why would church be essential as Walmart and the water company? Because Jesus Christ is here and you were made for a relationship with him. You want to endure to the end, be here with him as he gathers with us. Okay, that's the first point. Jesus is present at our worship gatherings as we endure. That brings up a really tough question. Okay, if I need it that bad, I've already hinted at this, what about those seven weeks where we didn't meet at all? And what about a year ago right now, we weren't meeting. We, we basically canceled Christmas last year as a church. What, what about that? How did I make it through that? What about the 10 or 20 people who were here two years ago and today are realizing that uh, a year in their home not leaving very much has made their body weaker and they can't be here right now, but they want to be. What about for those people? Is it this essential? How are they going to make it? Does the Lord do anything for those who cannot be here And does he do anything for us on the occasions when we cannot be here? Because we all get sick. We all have snow days. There are often times we can't be here. What does the Lord do for us? The good news is that the Lord has not forgotten about those who are unable to be here. And we see a picture of that in the way the Lord reaches out to John. That's the second detail. Let's move to that today. Second detail. Jesus came especially near to John on the Lord's day when John was unable to gather with the churches. Let's work through that logic again. This is happening on the Lord's day. And we see in verse nine that John is unable to gather. It says toward the, about the second half of the verse, he was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he had been preaching the word of God faithfully. Because he was preaching, he got exiled to an island prison. So he's locked up and surrounding the prison is nothing but water. So even if he gets out, he's not getting to church on this particular Sunday, right? He can't be there. Verse 10 says that he is in the spirit, which is a way of saying that the spirit rushed upon him to give him this prophecy. So it comes and visits him in a special way like that. And he begins to hear a voice. He turns to see who the voice is. Who comes to visit him when he cannot make it to the church? Jesus Christ himself comes to visit him. He can't go be with Jesus at church, and so Jesus is coming to be with him instead. I don't know about you, but in those rare occasions when I can't make it here, uh, I wind up feeling so disappointed with myself. Um, And I think probably those weeks that we didn't have church Uh, I think there was probably in all of us just a little bit of guilt. Like, Jesus must be so disappointed with us that we're not meeting right now. We really couldn't do it. It was the right thing to do, but, oh, that just lingering feeling of this doesn't feel, the Lord must be so disappointed with us. But we see here that the Lord was not disappointed with John. Uh, He said, in my hand of providence, I've kept you from coming, but I will go to you. And he puts his hand on him, and he doesn't say, I'm disappointed you couldn't make it to church. He puts his hand on it and says, fear not. I'm the first and the last, I died and I rose. This is the tenderness with which he meets those who are sad that they cannot be here on Sunday morning. Can you see how good our Lord is?
Those of you who know him well will probably not find that very surprising because that is exactly what he would do. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When our hearts are broken, where is he? He's even nearer than when he was before. Isaiah 43 says, and I even quoted it in the prayer this morning, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. Right? When the rivers rise, they won't overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. To not be able to make it here on a Sunday morning is, in a sense, a trial and a tribulation. It's equivalent to the waters rising, and you're not getting that soul care that you need. You're not appearing to him in worship. You're not getting to give him the worship that your heart was designed to give him. It is a trial. It's like the waters rising. It's like the fire that you must walk through. And the Lord says to those of us suffering in those situations, when the waters rise, that they won't overwhelm you. I will be with you. When you walk through the fire... Fire's not going to burn you, no, because I will be with you. We see a picture of what that can look like when the Lord appears to John, when John himself is under trial and tribulation and unable to attend worship. It won't always look like that. Every time you aren't able to go to church, you won't get the whole book of Revelation revealed to you in a vision every time, but we know God's character well enough to know he will be near you and he will be with you. So that's our second point. He often comes near to those who are sad that they cannot be here. And that should give us a great comfort for those that we love who two years ago were in a seat near you and right now their pew is empty. As the lot fell for us for COVID, as things happened with us, in our church family, not a single member of our church lost their life to covid Several people in our church lost people they love, like husbands or parents or cousins, but it didn't hit any of us that directly. The way it did hit us was there were several who, after a year in their homes, realized that they had become so weak they were not going to be able to make it back here at all. Some of them are still determined to come back, but they're staying away right now because we're in a little bit of a wave with COVID right now. Others of them have already said, I, I, think, I think we're shut in for good. We don't go to the grocery store, and I don't think we're going to go much of anywhere anymore. I think we can agree that I mean, our hearts break for those people, right? And we, we kind of wonder to the Lord, God, why, why did you make church so wonderful and prevent these people from being able to come? Uh, and the Lord gives us enough here to say, I haven't forgotten about them. Uh, no, I'm near to them. No, I'm with them. I'm near the brokenhearted. And when you pass through the waters, I'm with you. That's enough to tell us that even right now, if they are seeking him in their homes or in their facilities, that he is near to them and he is with them. That's a relief to me. And I pray that's a relief to you as well. It means a few things practically for us as well. Um, looking back on the days when we had to suspend worship for a while, uh, many of you tried to do something on Sunday morning that wasn't church, but it was, you know, what you were able to do. In fact, we equipped you to do that by giving you home liturgies if you wanted to use them, right? Uh, what does it mean for days like that? Well, it means on those days when we cannot be together or you cannot be here, next time a blizzard comes through and we cannot be here, if we would seek him, we know enough about him to know that he will come and seek us as well. So the next time it's Sunday and you're not able to be here, best thing to do is 
sit down with your family if you're a family together or get together with your spouse if you live with them or sit alone if you live alone, open your Bible, spend some time in worship to the Lord. Something more than you normally do on a regular day. Maybe sing songs together. Maybe find a good sermon from a trusted preacher on YouTube or some of our sermons are up there. Uh, if you're the head in your house, take, take leadership and say, all right, we cannot be in church today, but let's do something for our Lord and let's see if he comes and meets us in a special way while we are here. Many of us will one day be that person who is homebound for good or in a long-term care facility for good. And once we're there, what what should we do? Uh, Well, my advice is uh, make Sunday a special day of worship in your home. You probably have a devotional routine every day. I hope you do. But on Sunday, what if you had, okay, this is what we do to seek God on Sunday. For many of those shut-ins right now, what they're doing is turning on the radio and finding a sermon and sitting together and listening to it. Or uh, one of them I'm thinking of right now uh, gets together two or three people on her hall. She lives in a long-term care facility and she goes and rallies them all up and sits them down and does a Bible study with them on Sunday. If you can't be at church, offer the Lord what you can and see if he can meet you there. We see so much of the goodness of our Lord in these words. I think we can all agree that life is difficult. There are trials, there are tribulations. And even when life is good, there are temptations pulling us away from our love for the Lord. How are we going to endure that all the way to the end? Especially if we are going to be alive for the things that we read about in the book of Revelation. How will we make it through that? The Lord gives us two ways right here. When we gather like this, he's here with us to tend to us. And when we cannot gather, he reaches out his arm to tend to us there as well. Why don't we pray together and thank him for this and resolve that we will live in light of it. Let's pray.